From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City. From planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space. A podcast with no equal. Engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on Battle Line Podcast. I'm Ian Scotto, of course, at Ian Scotto on Twitter. Before we get into anything of substance, I do want to remind you guys, we've had a lot of people who have been reaching out, uh, wondering when we're going to do another Q&A episode, and uh, next week will be the time that we do it. So get your questions in, or get your comments in. Uh, nothing is really off limits for the most part, but uh, yeah, send them in. Any questions for me, any questions for Chris, any questions for the show in general, or comments, anything like that. Battlelinepodcast at gmail.com. Battlelinepodcast at gmail.com. That's coming up next week. As for this show, you see the title. This is the best of the military thriller writers that we've had on the show, and we've had plenty of them. And a lot of uh, listeners, a lot of you guys listening, uh, may have gotten into the show last year. We have a lot more people who got into the show in recent months or even two years ago. So a lot of these. Uh, pretty much all of them are from much older shows. So I figured many of you haven't even heard this material and it'd be a really cool introduction to some of those older shows and you might want to go back and revisit them. Or if you've heard them before, this is a revisitation of those interviews and some really great authors that we've had on. So uh, without further ado, let's get right into it. This was from our episode, episode 28 with a guy whose career has just continued to soar, and that's none other than Jack Carr. And in this excerpt, he talks about transitioning from the SEALs into writing. Check it out. Started at Team 5, enlisted, and I uh, was a sniper there, and then uh, went to OCS, did three months of doing exactly what you do in boot camp, except you get yelled at by a Marine yeah. instructor <laughs> instead, instead of a Navy one, and uh, then right back to the SEAL teams, because somehow folding underwear and you know, t-shirts somehow <laughs> qualifies you to lead me in battle. So right back to the SEAL teams, and then because I'd already gone through BUDS, already gone through SEAL qualification training, already done two deployments, one post 9-11, uh, it was right into the fight from there. So it was, uh, it was uh, if you were going to become an officer, it was a good timing timing worked out um so then i went seal team two on the east coast and then finished up my time as a troop commander at seal team seven uh back on the west coast and then that's where i started writing and during that last year when your job count becomes to get out of the military after you drop your papers and you kind of go in that separate pile uh and you go to dental and medical and get right out of secret programs and you know turn in your gear or whatever else you have to do uh that's when i had some time and so that's when i shifted to uh to starting to write the first novel the terminal list so that was uh, it was a good run but it was also uh very evident that my family needed me we have a special yeah. needs middle child who uh, oh, needs 24 wow. 7 full-time care forever uh and my wife had been dealing with uh that through all the deployments and not just the deployments but the whole workup where you're wow a month in the desert doing desert warfare training you're on a two-week jump trip you're on a couple week dive trip you're you know doing mountain warfare whatever you're doing to get ready for uh, that deployment you know she's back home dealing with uh, our middle child and dealing with everything else while i'm out there running around uh, doing the doing the deed so uh it was very evident after that last deployment to iraq when i was a a troop commander, so an 04, which is a, a major in the other services, a lieutenant commander in the Navy. Yeah. And it was uh, it was time to, to shift focus and uh, get out and take care of my family. So it wasn't uh, wasn't something that I agonized over. And then knowing that I wanted to write from early age, I just knew the path that I was going to take. And you know, for whatever reason, I didn't waste any bandwidth worried about how hard it is to get published, kind of like I didn't worry about how hard it was to get to BUDS or get through BUDS, get through Hell Week, uh, get to the SEAL teams, get to wherever I deployed to, Ramadi, wherever else. I didn't never wasted bandwidth on how hard it was, how dangerous it was, whatever. Uh, I focused on being the best operator that I possibly could. And then before the Navy, I focused on the things I needed to do to get there, to prepare, or what I, back then, before the internet, uh, the things I thought I needed to do to prepare myself 
for buds for seal training um so same thing with writing i never wasted any bandwidth on oh how hard is it to get published by a major publisher how hard is it to get picked up uh, uh option for a film like none of that was part of my calculus it was just like okay it's hard boom all my bandwidth is now spent doing the job preparing myself and making this the best book it can possibly be out of the gate and in my mind i always knew it's going to get picked up by simon and schuster emily bessler simon and schuster is going to be my editor she's uh she was vince lynn's editor she's brad thor's editor uh and i knew oh chris pratt's going to pick this up because he's the guy i want to play the part <laughs> and, uh, and, and anton fuqua is going to direct because he uh, he did shooter he did training day to tears of the sun equalizer magnificent seven awesome awesome guy and those are the only two people i thought of and now, yep, picked up by Simon & Schuster, Chris Pratt playing the lead, <laughs> and Anton Fuqua directing it. So uh, things nice. can come full circle like that. That was Jack Carr from episode 28. Guy I go way back with uh, in this clip, J.T. Patton, another great military thriller writer. And he discusses the whole process of the DOD reviewing books we spoke about that with sarah adams more recently but even these thriller books these fiction books they do have to sometimes go through a dod review depending on what's being written about and jt has had to deal with being censored let's get right into it so as as we've alluded to um i have to uphold obligations to to the intelligence community and uh so anything that i write even if it's uh fiction has to be reviewed so my first, you know, my first books were all reviewed by uh, by CIA, uh, and then they had to be passed over to um, NSA and DOD. Um, I didn't have a real problem uh, with the agency, and I know that they've got a lot of a lot more flow, so it started to take more and more time. And then came the Task Force Orange uh, series, and uh, and I think they kind of shit the bed um, with, with that one, and and freaked out a little bit of of just the topic. Um, I didn't have as much direct experience into that, and and that what I did, I didn't put in there. Um, but they kind of moved the goalposts on me. So here the the, the technical rules are. Before you let anybody see anything that you've written, so your first draft, you need to submit it to the agency. And then in my case, depending on who else I worked with, they would then send it to another intelligence uh, member uh, agency. Um, after that was all approved, then you could finish your writing, resubmit your final score to them, and they would approve that. That worked out great because DOD's requirement was submit to us the final uh, version that you're going to publish and we'll review that. So it took a long period of time, but it still worked. And and after I got the uh, CIA approval, then I could actually have an editor take a look at it uh, and then they can clean it up and have DOD. And once they gave me the thing, then I was out the door. Now with the TFO series, because I was involved with a number of those components, agency passed the first review jurisdiction to DOD or DOD requested it. So think about that. I have to show the final copy to DOD, but the first copy to the agency. But if DOD is accepting it, then they're the ones that would say, no, you can't send it to us yet because we have to see the final copy before the intelligence community does. So what ended up happening was this was taken over a year's uh, time uh, because of the way that I couldn't finish it. I couldn't finish writing it. I couldn't share anything because of the obligations. And then they would take a year's worth of time. Um, so I wrote one book under that type of a, you know, kind of a dress pain in the ass. And mm -hmm. uh, the second time uh, it had gone beyond a year. And I'm like, guys, what, what's going on? Um, I, you know, can you give me anything? Can you give me any feedback as to what the agency has reviewed? They said, no, we can't do anything like that until we've had our final review. But it prevented me from giving them a final review. And I said, you know, what's going on here? And the guy, you know, kind of in an aside said, look, it's too sensitive of a topic. So you've got the agency that's a little bit pissed off about it just because you're still writing stuff. Uh, NSA was pissed off about it because even though I had changed the names of things, it was still a an ent uh, 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 some of the technical things were still things um 
And then, of course, the, the, the JSOC component was, was a little bit pissed off because of the very nature of them wanting to keep it secretive. And even though I wasn't exposing so much, the very nature of SIGINT and the tradecraft and the locations and things like that um, were too close. So the guy said, I got to be honest with you, you could expect your next book if you write it. It could take you a couple years to get it back. Jeez. Yeah. So... You know, and and are they? Does it really take that much time? No. Um, so I, I mean, I'm not saying that it's this huge conspiracy theory, and I'm not saying that you know, if I was selling a, a million copies, that that you know the publisher wouldn't find a way around. But I can't, I, I can't afford to to get a lawyer for something like that. And honestly, if they honestly had that much of a problem with it in the community, if somebody's saying this is really exposing too much, um, I, I would respect that. And so that's the position I've kind of taken where I, I just have to respect what I don't know. I'm not going to cry foul of this big conspiracy and, you know, wave my arms and say, look what you're making me do. Look, it, it, I'm not selling tens of thousands of copies of these things anyway. So it's not like the, the community is saying, the, the reader community is saying, you know, we just can't live without you, JT. You know, these books are everything to us. So it's uh, for me, it's all right, let's try something else um, because I do enjoy the writing. And let's, and it ultimately for me, it's about telling stories uh, about yeah. people and the darkness within people. And so I think I can do it in a different way creating something unique. So I'm going to move a little bit into the suspense side for a little bit and, and give that a whirl at the very least, you know, I'll, I'll improve the craft of writing and then we'll see if we go back. You saying all this is likely going to make some people want to check out your previous work and be like, Hmm, what, what was so secretive that he was, that he was being censored for? So. I, I will say, and, and I, I don't know, I, I'm not too much of an ego person, but I will say that if you like you know the thought of drones and SIGINT and and Big Brother uh, surveilling and domestic ops as well as the foreign ops and you know the Task Force Orange Element. Uh, nobody else has written those books, a series just like it. The the closest ones was the Activity comic books or graphic novels um, that had had come out, um, and uh, you know th those you know kind of faded away a little bit. I think you know with the exception of some nonfiction. Nobody really covers it because not that many people know about it. So I would say that if anybody had an interest in it, that would certainly, um, you know, satiate the, those interests. And I'd say the first series, uh, from my standpoint, really gives um, a view into how some contractors are used and when they're taken out of the business community and put into the operational side. Um, I, I don't think that much has ever been written that way either. It's not this super heroic guy. It's the same type of person that's going to go to DC or go wherever out in the world and then still come back to, you know, Chicago or wherever they live. Um, so it's a different view into the, the, the black ops side aside from, you know, SEAL team six and, and Delta, you know, kicking in some doors. All right. If you want to check out that full episode, that was episode 49. If you want to go back in the archives, uh, this next one is from a team of writers that we've had on the show three times. But this is from their first appearance on the show back on episode 59. This is the thriller writer team of Andrews and Wilson, both veterans. And in this clip, they talk about writing military fiction from the perspective of veterans. Most people that are writing these thriller novels haven't okay. done it. And so what we thought was maybe what we can bring that's different is a realism. And I'm not talking here about, you know, the right weapon and, sure. you know, how you, how you fast rope. I'm talking about the characters. Like what we thought, what we envisioned was we can write an exciting action story where the characters are like the people we know instead of these superheroes that are always yeah. in the, you know. Um, and so that was sort of our vision was that we could bring something a little fresh and a little bit different. Um, I don't know if we did that or not, but I know that the book sold pretty well. Well, and that's, it's, it is, it's, you, you know, on a movie screen, stuff like that, you do want to see the right application of tactics, at least a military guy. If, if even with 13 hours for say, or Lone Survivor, Black Hawk, Down, we, the, the mishandling of one weapon system can screw up a movie, but on a book, getting to know what's in going in somebody's head when they're deployed, when you see somebody die and you don't know if that's okay and you're trying to that's what people want to read and that's what i want to read and that's what I, so you have that experience that's why those when you say fiction i i put you know quotation around fiction books when you have veterans writing fiction books because really 
they're not. They may not have the same character names. You're, you're portraying somebody different than the actual person because it's supposed to be a fiction. But but you're getting the real emotions because that's where you're pulling yeah. them from. And that's what's so great about these books and why I think people should read veterans fiction books because to me, they're not really fiction. They're 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 based on events that actually happen and those feelings are real that you're getting in there. And that's what you want to read. That's what I want to read when I read books. That's when I first started reading, reading any books, whether it was the real books from Vietnam with the Charlie Ranger books to the fiction books from the wars that we had uh, back when I was growing up, it was, I wanted to know what they were feeling like. That's what drove me to be the Ranger, not the actual, well, the blowing shit up and shooting things was cool. I'm not going to say it wasn't, but it was, man, these, these guys are harder than nails and the things they go through, those that emotional roller coaster. I want to experience that emotional roller coaster, which is what again, I, that's why I have a hard time calling your books fiction because I don't I think they're 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 based in they're based in reality, definitely. And and especially I, I get that, you know, the the killing of somebody and hey, is this the right thing? Did I just break a commandment? When you talk about that, I, I understand. But that's not fiction. That's real because I, I know what that feeling is. And I remember going to my pastor and saying after the first time I did it and went, am I going to hell? I, I don't know if I'm right doing this. And, you know, and, and he talked me through it, of course, that's a whole nother podcast being I could probably do, but that's what I love about the books. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time calling them fiction. I, I because they're, to me, they're, they're really not, they're just, I, they're just characters with different names is all. Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge compliment. Chris. I'll tell you that the, um, the characters <laughs> in these books, in, the, in these new series we're writing, they are based on real people. Yeah. I, I, it's more common, I think, that with each character is sort of an amalgam of several. Several, people. yeah, yeah. You know, you pull that one story, and it's like, how can I tell that story without pissing off? I'll massage it a little bit here. Yeah, that does make it a lot more fun to write, and hopefully, to hopefully to read as well. Oh no, it does. It does because it, it, you reading, you want that emotion to come out, and you want it to come out not visually. You want it to come out. Uh, it, you know, I don't, what's the, help me out. I, psychologists, I, help me out. The smart words where you want something, I guess it still is visually in your head. Where's my thesaurus when I need it, but you want to come, <laughs> it to come out in your thoughts. You want to think about those feelings and you remember the smells and sights and, and, and the, 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 the things that, you know, the things you heard, the acoustic, just everything. And you, it does, it brings you back to a moment where like something similar happened. And oh man, I remember all that not just on the screen. I'm, I'm thinking about it in my head and it's even more vivid and it, it, it's good to feel that. Honestly, it's it, to me, it's cathartic. It's therapeutic to read that. And like, wow, I remember going through that, something similar, man, that's what I felt. Okay. Let's go to the next page. And then I can go to the next page and forget about it and keep moving on. But um, yeah, Brian, you know, if you can expound on that, how did, how did that come into play with your experiences on the submarine um, where you started writing and you were drawing those realistic moments that you went through when you served and the things, some of the things that you saw, which I'm sure weren't all, you know, roses and rainbows and sunshine all the time. Yeah. I think that when you, Jeff and I talk about that when you're serving at the tip of the spear, you have these um, long moments of long periods of boredom <clears throat> that are punctuated yeah, yeah. <laughs> by moments of abject terror, right? And you don't know yeah. when they're going to happen. And and so, you know, it's it's how do people respond under pressure and how do you lean on each other? And, you know, sometimes you have, you, you have a good day and sometimes you have a bad day. And yeah. it's even interesting too that, you know, one day you, you're feeling courageous and, and, powerful and on top of the world. And maybe the next day, just your brain chemistry is off or you didn't get enough sleep or whatever. And you're just, you might not bring your A game. And that's where this whole, I think, team concept comes in. And one of the things that we set out to do a little differently in this series was we wanted to embrace this idea of camaraderie and, and the team. And, you know, you're a little bit constrained in fiction because readers want a hero. They it's very important that you have a strong protagonist that people can relate to and want to cheer for. <clears throat> and that's why you have like your Mitch Raps and your Jack Ryans and Jason yeah. Bournes. You have to have a hero. And we knew that. We couldn't just write only about a team. But at the same time, we said, you know, 
in real life, it doesn't happen that way. There isn't just this John Wayne character who goes out there with his M4 and caps every single bad guy on the X, right? So we said, we're going to be very intentional. And the opening chapter of Tier 1 is on an infill, on a Black Hawk, and you're with the entire you know, element, the entire fire team that's going in on this, and they're just bullshitting. And so you get to see right out of the gate that, okay, yeah, it's John Dempsey's point of view in that chapter, but it's him interacting with all these other guys. And so their personalities come up and they, they hit this cargo ship and, and that opening sequence in tier one is, I think it's four chapters long. The action is four chapters and we walk you through the whole thing and it's from, you know, when they touch down and they hit the deck, all the things that go wrong and how all the people in that fire team work their way through this problem through the exfil. And so when you're done with that, you know, that four chapters, you're like, feel like, man, I just went on that op and I know I know these guys a little bit. I see that there's a team and it wasn't just one guy who took this ship by himself. And we've tried to carry that through the series. And I think that is our big point of difference. And it's, it's resonated with people. Hope that you enjoyed that clip. If you want to go back and listen to the full episode, once again, that's episode 59 with Andrews and Wilson. Uh, Before we continue, you've heard us talk about Bub's Naturals and I, I haven't in a while gone back into really what collagen is. I mean, you guys know the origin of Bub's Naturals. It's Glenn, Bub Doherty, and they give back to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. But many of you do wonder, why should I take collagen? Why is it an important supplement to take? Well, collagen is the most abundant protein in the human body. It is literally the glue that holds our bodies together. Collagen is a blend of highly functional amino acids found in all of the body's connective tissue. So, The way they do it, they upcycle cowhide that would be wasted on leather tanneries, and they use that hide from pasture-raised and grass-fed cows. An enzyme bath breaks down the hide into molecules and boosts the amino acid profile. The collagen is agglomerated and hydrolyzed into a powder. Now, Bubs stands alone as single-sourced and certified. They are flavorless, and you can mix it in anything. Bubs is the highest quality for superior solubility. They're single sourced. They don't buy from multiple sources and then mix that product together as many other collagen supplements are doing. They don't want to compromise their quality. They're the only 100% NSF for sport certified brand. Now this is good for you because after your early 20s, collagen production declines every year and collagen is critical to the support and reconstruction of joints. This supports gut health and muscle recovery and promotes healthy skin, hair, and nails. Now, collagen is just one of the great supplements. Their apple cider vinegar gummies are great for digestion and uh, all their other products. You're going to want to check them out. It's bubsnaturals.com. You may have seen them in stores, but we have a partnership with them where they're going to give you the best deal possible and that's bubsnaturals.com when you use the promo code BATTLELINE for 20% off. So bubsnaturals.com, use the promo code BATTLELINE. And like every show, this show is brought to you by Fort Scott Munitions. Fort Scott is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed-out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. Just go to the dealer locator on the website. But you can also buy right there on the website at fsm.com. And you're going to get a great deal through us when you use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. That's only available to listeners of the Battleline podcast. 
Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. And when you support any of our great sponsors, you're supporting this show staying free. Yes, we are looking to launch a Patreon uh, coming around the 2023 mark, but we're always going to give out free content, and that's thanks to our great sponsors and listeners like yourself. So check them out. That's FSM.com, promo code BATTLELINE. Now, this next excerpt is from someone who worked in the Trump administration and has done many things. Not only is he a veteran, he's written his own military books, his own military thrillers, but he also worked with a guy many of you are familiar with, and that's none other than Nick Irving, Army Ranger. And many of you may have read some of those books from the Reaper series. So that's exactly what we talk about. This is from way back, episode two, Tony Tata, AJ Tata, talks becoming a thriller writer and working with Nick Irving on the Reaper series. General, what, what, just me asking, and, and did you, were you in literature when you were going, because you, you went to West Point, correct? If, if I'm not right, you're, I, I you're did, ring, you're I did. You're, you're a ring knocker, aren't you? Did, yeah, did you, I, did you, I, I won't make fun of that later. Don't worry, I'll get to that. <laughs> I, I got that saved. No, I, I, well, maybe a little bit, but did, did you major in literature? I, mean, I just, no. what I want people is, is it, or did you follow that road to get into book writing? Were you already a writer? Were you no. studying to be that when you were in college and then it went that way? No, you, you know, Chris, my mom was a big reader and both my parents were teachers and, and literacy was a big thing in our household. And sure. I was one of these kids that would come back from book fair day with, you know, uh, 10, yes. 10, 15 books on, <laughs> under my arm. And, and my mom and dad would say, what, how are you going to read all those? And like two days later, I'm like, okay, I'm bored. I need more stuff to read. And, and mom started leaving these, uh, she had Louis Lamore and Zane Louis Gray, oh, yeah. uh, and she would leave them laying around the house, and I would, and they'd be dog-eared, and I really wasn't sure what that meant, but I would just take it, and then I would read it, and I'd throw it under my bed, and you know, mom a week later say, you know, have you seen that this you know book, uh, you know, Rattlesnake Trail or you know whatever it is, and and uh, I'm like, oh yeah, I've got, you know, I'd op- look under my bed, and I have like 15 of her little paperbacks she'd be reading, none of what she had finished, so. Um, <laughs> and, and that sort of switched me on. Then I kind of grew into Stephen King and and, yeah. and uh, you know his early stuff. And and I just became you know I, I remember telling my dad when I'm uh, when I was about twelve. He asked me you know the typical prototypical question. You know my dad's an Italian, the son of Italian immigrants. So my grandparents came in through Ellis Island and settled in Detroit, Michigan. And my my grandfather was a brick mason. So everything he did, you know, and this was back in the 20s and 30s um you know my dad was born and, and my dad was uh helping you know when he was like six or seven helping sling mortar and that kind of thing uh, you know just some of the, a few italians uh, working their way up in the you know inner inner part of uh, detroit there while the automobile wow. industry is um you know starting uh, starting up and so they're building and scaling and and uh you know my my dad was this amazing athlete uh, baseball and football player so he goes to the university of virginia and uh, but he never lost that sense of um, immigrant and, you know, work hard, hard save, hard work. Yeah, yeah, and uh, earn your way. And so I, I, he said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and I said, well, I want to write fiction novels. And he kind of laughs and he says, you got to put food on the table, man. And, and so. Um, well, you, 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 you did. Well, you did both. You put food on the table you, and you went to ranger school. You got your tab, you got downrange, right. and now yeah. you're, you got every, that's what I always tell Just go do everything, do right. everything, experience it all. Yeah. And, that's right, Chris. And, and, that's right. It, it, it's a ama- it's amazing. And it, brick mason. I was a mason tender for a summer, and I tell you what, being a ranger and being a battalion, and then also the playing was hard. Holy shit! Yeah. I, the mason tender <laughs> was. I was like, okay, I definitely need to go back into rangers because I ain't slinging and carrying stones <laughs> yeah, at six right. a.m. Right. for the rest of my life. That was tough. I'll tell I, you I what, man. That. Wow. Yeah. And, but you know, when my grandfather, um, passed though, he'd built a nice little construction business there. And, you know, he, 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 uh, had his own business. He, he was the epitome of the American dream. Italian immigrants coming over. He had fought in World War One for Italy. And then in the twenties came wow. over and here he is. He built his own business and, and, uh, you know, had a lot of pride in America. And he was a prototypical, um, you know, legal immigrant that comes over here and, and does 
does, uh, you know, great things. And, and that's, that's the backbone of America. That's what we're all about here. Patriotism. Yeah. My, my grandfather, I'm, I'll be honest. My grandfather wasn't illegal before he came, he was, came in, came over from Mexico, got a citizenship. And I learned my, my family from Italy came over illegally. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. I, I heard you talk about that too, Chris. So yeah. Yeah. But it, but he, he was the biggest patriot in the world. And I don't think it's an, I don't think that, it's a it's a coincidence that you know your grandfather my grandfather fathers you know immigrants coming over that we decided to go towards that military route because right. they are the biggest patriots in the world they, yeah. they my dad my grandfather is a huge patriot and, yeah. and, and i said he should say he was he did pass mm-hmm. but you know immigration now so i don't, don't want to get into politics i, right. I hate that shit yeah. I, right. I, I do, do too but, yeah, but it do but too. it does show that that you know, immigrants were. No, there are some good Im- immigrants come over and 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 I don't say assimilate, but bring over their their backbone, bring over their hard work. It does trickle down to us right. younger yeah. generations, and, yeah, and, yeah, and then we keep moving on and, and doing doing great things in their names, like you're doing now, especially. And also, I admire you for writing so many books. I'm done three books, and I got yeah. well three three. You know, no. most people never write one, so three's uh, that's uh, well, most people, that's, and there's very few that write eighteen or fourteen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but well, no, that's that's admirable. And then all she had to work for Nick with Nick Irving. So I, you know, how much how many life did you lose doing that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Nick. Uh, Nick's an awesome. Yeah, so we yeah, we do the Reaper fiction yep. series, and uh, we I just uh, we just turned in book three of that. Uh, it's uh, Drone Strike is the name of it, and yep. it'll be out next May. And uh, he's such a great partner. You know, he's, he's, uh, as you know, he's, uh, you know, yeah. rain, ranger bat through and through. He's all about, yeah. um, you know, duty on our country, serve, serve your nation. Uh, rangers lead the way and all the way. Uh, he's, uh, he's a, uh, you know, fabulous, uh, marksman and, and, uh, he knows all about weapons and he's just a great human being. That's, that's why I work, like working with, uh, Nick. Yeah. No, he's he's tremendous. I won't, and it's okay. He went to third bat right, right before I won't, again. I, I had to. I, I both of us I know are probably going. Dang, we wish we would have went to first bat. At least we've been by the beach. I was freezing up in Fort Lewis. So yeah, right. But right. I, I will. I will. I admire. No, I admire Nick, and, and Nick's a real deal. Uh, and and him with the books with you is is amazing. That's how I know of you. Uh, from from you writing with Nick, yeah, and I I do think that's just crazy that that you are helping him do fiction and and then also with just how successful the books are with with Nick, but yeah, he's he's a talent, and so are you, and yeah. and uh, you know I'll leave it at that, and I'll go in some more with that a little bit, but I'm gonna I think I'm talking over everybody. no 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 you know um, Nick um, Nick was uh, you know we have the same agent. A lot of people say, well, how did you and Nick get hooked up? You know, and I'm like, well, we're so much alike. Can't you just look at us and tell? You know? <laughs> I'm an old yeah. white guy. He's a young dreadlocked uh, guy. You know, and um, and, and we have the same agent. And uh, Nick's um, autobiography did very, very well. And and our uh, agent uh, said, hey, um, why don't the general and the sergeant write a book together um, and cre- create a fiction series? And so we've created Vic Harwood, who is sort of the fictional spinoff of, of Nick. And uh, he's, you know, we, we've got a little bit of following going there, and it's a lot of fun uh, to do. You, you definitely do have to have a have some chemistry because I, a lady, I, Melissa Morris, helped me write The Ranger Way and also uh, write uh, The Patriot's Creed. And if there's not that chemistry there where you can get along with each other, because there are times where she calls, like, I, I don't want to talk. I, we, I don't want to do this right now. I, I'm, I'm, can we just leave me alone? I want family time. Right. And and it, it, you definitely have to be able to just sit down and have conversations with each other and just tolerate each other. Because right. I, I don't know if you and Nick do it that way, but I know her, me and Melissa do sit down and we go over everything. And then I, I, I've, I tell her, hey, this is what we need. Or I'll write something out, give it to her, and she'll write something out, give it to me. And, and we'll make sure that it's that it's in line. But it's some there's times where I just – just leave me alone for a little bit. I just got home from being on the road for two weeks, and and so if you Nick must have a good rapport. And again, I, I don't I don't see how you can't without without um, being so successful as you right. guys are. And, well, and, and uh, well thanks. Uh, he he's such a creative uh, at heart. You know, he plays the guitar. He's he he's uh, very creative with his. Um, you know his ideas and writing and and yeah we collaborate and, and uh, we just have a good uh, yin and yang going. 
Yeah, he's he really is a creative guy. Like I remember when I interviewed him way back and he talked about what he was doing prior to putting out the books and all that. And he was like selling survival kits and he was telling me like he recorded voiceover and he would deepen the voice and he and he was like buying ads on Infowars. He was telling me of like, you know, the, the apocalypse is coming. Be prepared type thing. And I'm like, I, to me, I'm like, that's kind of all that is creative that's right, to right. put that type of thing together. And he's totally a personality. And I, I could see where you guys are coming from, though, in terms of putting the books together, because as though you, you know, as you said, you have your differences. I think it makes more sense that they hooked him up with you than just any co-writer. Right. You right, you right. have the military background and the respect in the community. So. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and we have a great editor, Mark Resnick at St. Martin's Press, McMillan. And and Mark does a great job uh, coaching us uh, along. And, and uh, The editor is the key. It yeah. Makes the books, yeah. It, it makes a book not turn, especially as military guys, makes it turn into a, a real book and not yeah. a pop-up or a coloring book. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or a field manual. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> Right, this A, B, C. No, we we have to. The normal person, and norm, I mean normal in a very very kind way. I mean, but a non-military person's got to read this and actually enjoy to read it, not just uh, task condition and standards down the line like a military person would. <laughs> We're not doing a seven eight. We're doing a book, and, and I I learned that in the first book too. And but they do. They the editors are fantastic, and I I'm over at Hachette, and they do a fantastic job. Oh, too. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's it's a yeah, it's amazing how you put stuff on paper and then all of a sudden you get it back like. Well, crap! This is a book. I didn't. I just was putting ideas down. Right. And now they turned it into a a novel. Or, right. or so it's. But you've got that. You've got that West Point with you anyway. You're already smart. You could <laughs> right. probably be editor too and still be successful. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but I enjoy it. I enjoy the creative process, and uh, I, I enjoyed uh, uh, making uh, Jake Mahegan. And I've, I've got yeah. a new contract now with uh, St. Martin's uh, standalone for me, and uh, we'll keep the Reaper thing going. But Mark, uh, you know, signed me to a separate contract, and and we're creating a a new series. So uh, that'll be fun. That was from our second episode. This next one is from a guy who's done many things. Not only is he an army ranger, social media manager, but he's also a writer of many things, including military thrillers. And his book, The First Marauder, is one you're going to want to check out. Here's Luke Ryan talking about The First Marauder from his second appearance. Luke has been on the show twice. This is from episode 109. This latest book is The First Marauder, uh, which just came out. It's available on Amazon.com. Yeah, let's get into it and and what inspired it and and what the book's about. Yeah, so it's about a 15-year-old kid in a post-apocalyptic world. He's in the Tampa area. Um, He's, uh, you know, he is sort of, he's the only person he knows who has a surviving family member from this post-apocalyptic event which I wrote the book before the pandemic. The apocalyptic event is basically like a weaponized virus that has spread around the earth. <laughs> or I wrote the first draft before the pandemic. So it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Um, not prophetic, just kind of dumb luck or unluck. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. There's those people online who will say there are no coincidences. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true. This is definitely one of the coincidences. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's he's kind of and his brother's killed in a skirmish over resources. So um, you know he's fifteen. He's just figuring out. He lies about his age and joins this local militia that's kind of forming to protect you know their resources against this neighboring town. And he kind of is seeking revenge. But what winds up happening is way more complicated. I mean, that's really just the first act, and he gets sucked into this whole. I mean, he's fifteen, but it's you know it's it's a novel for adults. It's it's like uh, about the discovery of war and politics. I mean, he's kind of squarely in that age between when I was first joined the army and when I was in my school shooting. And so he's like, you know, he is learning about violence and combat as, as sort of I did in those two events. Um, well, one event and one career and, you know, like, learning about the intricacies of war and politics on a, and when I say politics, I mean on a larger level, yes, but also on a smaller level, you know, the military politics and like uh, all all sorts of things like that. Um, And then this, the mayors, the mayoral politics of the the local area in that Tampa area in this post-apocalyptic world. And um, yeah, so that he's just struggling to navigate this world and he's got this, uh, 
Um, he's just kind of stumbling through it and, and trying to survive and trying to at first seek out vengeance and figure out, you know, what to do. It's a lot about endurance, the discovery of those things and about like endurance, you know, um, he just always keeps going. That's like his, you know, his only pretty much quality that he really can hold on to. He's so young. He doesn't know how to fight very well. He doesn't know how to do very much of anything very well. Um, but, but he knows that he's always just going to keep going, keep trying and, um, do the best that he can, which not everybody is doing. And, um, that's a big thing for me. I mean, when people say do the best that you can, they usually mean it as like a cop out, like try and then give up if you can't do it immediately. I mean, how many times can I really count on, uh, you know, that I've done the actual best that I could like literally to the maximum potential of what I could possibly do, you know, maybe within realism, but still like very rarely have I done that. I mean, and I've done a, a, a couple things that I've really pushed myself, you know, really hard down, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to guess going through Ranger battalion. That's going to be one of them. Yeah. Going through like RASP, the Ranger selection and then Ranger school and, you know, like Sears school and just hard deployments and hard stuff after deployments or hard training cycles you know, uh, other times in my life, like during the pandemic, I wrote a lot. Like I wrote the whole sequel to the first Marauder. I wrote, uh, I wrote two other books. One is pretty short, but, and then the fourth one I started and then finished more recently, but you know, like I wrote a lot and I would be hard pressed to say with my job, could I have done any more, maybe a little bit, but not really. Like I got pretty close to my max amount of writing during that time. Like I, I pretty much did my best. But like, there's a lot, a lot of things that I've done and done successfully and done well that like, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to beat myself up about it or anything, but like, if it works, it works. But you know, when people say do your best and in the context of this book, this kid just doing his best, like he really, he's really like trying really hard all the time. I mean, and it's incredible. That's why I really discovered in Ranger Battalion is incredible what your body is capable of. If you have that mindset, like what you can push your body to do you know, or your mind to do. If you treat your mind the way that like athletes treat their body, right? Like you can train it, you can like educate it, you can, you know, you can start to break down different methods of, for example, like work ethic, you know, how do I, how do I keep, you know, how do I retain discipline in this thing that is not like just working out or something like that? You know, how do I retain discipline for me? Like in my writing every day in my, you know, filmmaking, you know, in my, in my work, um, all, all these sorts of intangible qualities, you're, you're training your mind to be better at them. Um, just as you train your body. And like I said, I mean, you just do your best. And if, you know, everybody dies at some point. I mean, if you're, you're in combat and you just do your best up until you can't anymore. Uh, and it's the same thing everywhere else. Is, is this protagonist based off you a little bit? Um, not really. He's, he's probably like a, a, a little bit of a, um, I I'd say like similar in my good qualities. <laughs> uh, <I> take <laughs> some of my, my, my bad qualities out of there. Uh, but he's, I like the, I like the, um, there, there's a lot of meat in him. I would say that for sure. You know, uh, he, he's, you know, exposed to violence at a young age, but he didn't, he doesn't like, it's not like this. It, it's a childhood trauma is what it is, but it's not this, you know, the shooting for me, it didn't, it didn't just like, turn and wrench and ruin my life. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it was, uh, I mean, I, I came out, I came out of it and, you know, has its effects on me, but then I went and became a ranger and got way more into the whole world of combat, you know, like times 10. And, um, I mean, it, it's, it's just that kind of journey. There are a lot of nuances there that aren't, that aren't your typical, like, Oh, I did some war things and now I'm a broken person or, Oh, I did like, you know, some more things. And now I'm like a cool hero. Like it's this, there's a ton of nuance in there, right? Being exposed to violence as a kid, just like we were saying before, I mean, everybody reacts to it differently. I mean, some people are going to like freak out at the sound of gunfire for the rest of their lives if they hear that. And there's nothing wrong. Like there's nothing wrong with them being broken in that way. You know, I mean, I think that you need to seek help and get, try to, you know, help yourself as much as you can. Um, and you know, do your best at that. Uh, in a healing sense. Right. But, um, 
you know, that with that being a natural reaction to a traumatic event, isn't like stupid or anything, um, for sure. But you know, that my, my journey was different than that. Right. Like actually it taught, it showed me one thing is that I knew that I wouldn't freak out if people started shooting. Cause I didn't really freak out when it happened when I was in eighth grade. So, you know, um, and that, that kind of, but that doesn't mean that it didn't affect me, you know? And so a lot of the nuance of that kind of trauma, one, one thing that I really put in there is that he's in this post-apocalyptic environment, right? And he's fighting through all of these situations. Well, fighting slash just trying to survive and stay alive. Uh, cause he's like 15 and barely knows how to use a weapon and stuff. And, but he's, he's like fighting through all these situations and he has all of these emotions starting to come up and, he just like keeps pushing them down, pushing them down, pushing them down. And this is kind of a reoccurring theme throughout the, the trilogy. Cause it's the first in a trilogy. Um, and the second one, he's 25 and the third one, he's 50. So, you know, it's the span of his life and, you know, you push stuff down like that. You need to in combat. It's not, it's not like a, it's not just like a defense mechanism that, you know, if you are a healthier minded person, you would be able to, allow it to pop up. Like you can't break down in a firefight. And, and, you know, at at a certain point, like for me, it's your natural instinct to just push it down. You don't even have to try anymore. So the problem is, is then when you're done, you have to like, after a certain, especially after a certain number of combat experiences, you know, which is, I'm sure is different for everybody. uh, It doesn't come back up as easily anymore because you've trained it so much to all these emotions, these reactions to these dramatic events have, you know, they start to stay down there and you have to go back in there and pull them out and unpack them yourself because nobody's going to do it for you. And um, they're just going to eat you from the inside if you don't. So, you know, you got to like pull all that stuff out and like look at it. And, and um, it's a super healing and, and good experience to do that. I do that a lot with my poetry. I, I, the two other books that you mentioned are poetry books and yeah, you know, they're war poetry books. And I, I, that's the whole point of them is me to unpack these ideas that I've experienced. And that's what Tyler, this protagonist in this book is, is getting more into later. He's kind of in the pushing down phase and then noticing that as he's going along, you know, it's not hard anymore to do that. He's not like, struggling to to not cry or anything by the end of it he's just so used to you know doing this stuff that but he's not just some jaded you know like cynic cynic you know that's the hollywood stereotype of a a war veteran right he's not this sort of like either broken human being that's just you know and he's also not just this super jaded cynic he's uh he functions pretty well. He does stuff pretty well. Uh, you know, he, he's smart. He's still always trying to do the right thing. You know, his moral compass is pretty unwavering in general. And, um, even if he's confused about where he's supposed to go sometimes cause he's 15. Um, but he's, he's still like, you know, the, those, that, that nuance of these, these emotions that he's bubbling, trying to bubble up, he's continuously packing them down. That's a huge, a huge theme in the book and a huge, part of me to long-winded way of answering your question a no. part of me that I kind of siphoned into his character and uh in a way is a lot like me because that's how I reacted to the school shooting and that's how I reacted to combat after when I was an adult as well yeah it sounds like even though it's as you said this post-apocalyptic science fiction book it's the type of thing that's going to inspire people to as you said like do their very best at something and really push the limit if they want to go for something um which you don't, you don't see often. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of biographies, autobiographies, even poetry, as you said, that, that inspires people. A lot of these books are kind of uh, just entertainment. This seems to have a bigger message. Yeah, they're, they're um, I mean, the post-apocalyptic genre in general is a little bit tired right now, I think. It's like a lot of stories about it. But, you know, I think it's a fascinating setting because it's Western culture. It's something we're all familiar with. Um, you know, it's in America. Uh, but it's like a battlefield setting 24 seven, pretty much, you know, even, I mean, in the, on the battlefield, you're not in firefights hundred percent of the time. This is like a tiny percentage of what your time in F, you know, in Afghanistan, <clears throat> a war zone, I guess I should say is more accurate than a battlefield, but you know, it makes it that all the time. And it's just an interesting setting to start to explore these kind of ideas. Uh, really interesting to me. Um, so you know, you can kind of explore the nature of courage or grief, 
you know, in, in a really raw kind of way. So insofar as I'm exploring those ideas, that's how I feel like that's what separates it from these like kind of generic post-apocalyptic adventure stories that ultimately are, are pretty forgettable, um, which not all of them are, but there, there are a lot of those out there. Um, and then the one I'm really still trying to use that setting as a, as a mode to, to look at these sorts of other ideas, you know, that are really important to me, but there's still the, you know, I still want it to be like, it's still an adventure. It's kind of a dark adventure, but it's still like, it's, it's not like a super, super ultra heavy realism per se. I mean, I'm exploring these ideas, but it's still like a 15 year old kid kind of running around meeting interesting characters. And some of them are kind of like, you know, kind of out there kind of people interesting and funny or, or exciting parts, you know, stuff like that. So there, there's, I love the medium of storytelling and of novels and filmmaking, but like, you know, that the, the, uh, the core of it is ultimately those basic central ideas. You can hear that full interview. If you go back in the archives and check out episode 109 available everywhere, of course, where you're listening whether it's YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And we recently, pretty recently, had Brad Thor on the show. But Brad Thor was also on earlier on when we started the show for episode 41. And here's Brad Thor, one of the greatest thriller writers there is, wrapping up this special, talking about the inspiration he got from his dad's service for his books and also the importance of family. My dad's got the best sense of humor. He is the greatest guy in the world. My brother and I jokingly refer to him as the great Santini uh, from the movie. And that's not him. But, you know, he would, we'd get the quarter and could he bounce it off our bedclothes? You know, how tight did we make the bed and stuff? <laughs> jokingly, like take his finger and go over the door frame looking for dust and, you know, threaten to dump out our drawers and stuff in our, in our, in our bedroom uh, that my brother and I shared. I, listen, it was a great, great way to grow up. He was so proud of his service in the Marines. It got him the GI Bill, got him out of the south side of Chicago. Um, and there are things about being a Marine, that physical fitness for life and all of that kind of stuff that he passed on to us. And he's just a, it's I wouldn't have I wouldn't wanted to grow up in any other household than to have a Marine Corps father. My mom was a flight attendant for TWA in the glamour days in the 60s. And she was an entrepreneur. My dad went on to go into construction and building office buildings and hotels. The Marine Corps was an incredible launching pad for him. And what's really funny, I didn't know this, I reconnected with a friend uh, from grade school. He was in my brother's class. I was two years older. And uh, he's still in the service. Uh, and he, he said my dad was the one that got him to become a Marine. And he, he spent his, he's spent his entire career in the Marine Corps and he's been very, very good. And he was one of the, one of the, I think the Marines have like a hundred interrogators period. Uh, so he did a lot of, a lot of stuff in Iraq, a lot of stuff in Afghanistan, super smart guy. And when he told me that, when he said, you know, your dad is the reason the man that the Marines made out of your father is why I wanted to join the Marine Corps. So when I write my thrillers, that deal with the special operations community, deal with the intel community. And I get letters from young men and women that say, you know what? I've decided I want to go into law enforcement or to the military or to the IC. And it's because of what, I, what I've read in your thrillers. It's amazing to me. That is an incredible compliment that because of the, you know, I want you to take my book to the beach, to the lake. You know, but you hear from young people that say, wow, I just love these and I love what these men and women stand for. And I want to be part of that brotherhood, part of that, that family. It's, it's an incredible feeling as an author. Uh, that's a, I, I, yeah, your, your father and growing up like that. I hope my son, he's 15. He went through, he went through pretty tough because I was deployed. So he was about 10 going back and mm. forth. And I know it was hard on him. I hope he has those good things to say about me when he's, when he's older than Gosh, my dad, he's such an ass. He's just so mean to me all the time. But well, the graph goes like this. You get dumber and dumber and dumber as they get older. And then suddenly they get older and you get smarter and smarter and smarter. And they want your advice. And yeah, it, it turns around. I Listen, it's in the DNA. And this is one of the things that I keep saying at home. It's a teenager's job to be sullen and resentful. And if it wasn't in the DNA, they'd never leave the house, right? You think about it. Kids used to get married, you know. 13 years old hundreds of years ago. And so this is this is unnatural that we hang on to them for as long as we do, right? All the way through and try to get them through college. It's the, you used to have them apprenticed by now. By 15, they, you know, he'd be joining the, the local uh, 
what is it, Blacksmith's Guild or the Shoemaker, the Cobbler's Guild or whatever, you know, in the village. So it's unusual for us to hang on to them. And it's also a gift. And by the way, that's another bright spot that I'm looking at. I got a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old in COVID. I am hugging on them every day. I'm trying to impart wisdom. I'm trying to be a good leader, like I said, in my family and share with them how to get through adversity. And my big thing is all you're asking, being asked to do is sit on the couch and watch watch Netflix. Nobody's telling you to pick up a rifle and go storm the beaches in Normandy. Okay. We can do this. It's not that tough. Yeah. And it's a blessing. And yeah, and, and I was going to say for you, you know, beyond just what your father has done, you are a guy who has dealt with adversity in your life. I know. And, and you are someone who, if you have a dream, you go for it. Cause I've heard you talk about before how you were doing another line of work, but you always had the dream to be an author and, and your wife supported yep. you in that dream. A lot of people would say, Eh, this this is never going to happen for me. And you, you know, no one knew at that time you were going to be a New York Times bestselling author on uh, now your 19th book in this series. But you had the foresight of, all right, I'm going to give up what I'm doing. I'm going to give up my paycheck and go for what I really want out of life. That was my listen. I got to credit my wife, because when I graduated college, uh, going to break news here, I did something that no American has ever done. I went to Paris to write a novel. Had never been done. I don't know if you know this. Had never been done before. Uh, Nobody's I, ever gone to Paris. No, uh, you're not. Never been done. I was the first. The first. Incredibly brilliant. Nobody would ever done it. You know, there's some Hemingway, Fitzgerald. It's all BS. They oh, never went. Guys, are those guys authors? Uh, I, I yeah, know. it's it's like the moon landing never happened. Never happened. Never happened. That was cheese. That was a big ball of cheese. It was swishes. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah it's a back was there. He was there. I saw Bugs. I saw it on TV. Bugs Bunny yep. was there once. So yep. There was one person there. I know there was. <laughs> so I, I decided to go to Paris, write a novel. I got three chapters into it right after college. I had worked. That had been a big thing with the great Santini. You know, I worked while I was in college. I rented uh, apartments in L.A. and I got me a reduced rent and got me a little bit of a paycheck in the apartment building. And uh, so saved money, went to Europe. A friend had an extra room in their apartment. And I got three chapters into writing my novel. This is what I wanted to do since I was a kid. And then I chickened out. I had that little voice in the back of my head that I think a lot of us do, which says, you know what? You may fail at this. You shouldn't even risk the embarrassment. Why would you take this time and and write a book that may not get sold, may suck? People are going to laugh at you. Wouldn't it be easier just not to risk anything back up off that limb before it cracks and falls underneath you? And I did. And I chickened out and I shipped the laptop back home and I used my money to travel. And uh, I came up with an idea for a TV show. I thought that travel made me a better American. Seeing my country from outside made me appreciate how incredibly lucky I was to be born in the greatest nation in the history of the world. And I said, I want to do a TV show to encourage young people travel internationally now. Don't wait until you're retired. Do it now, because I thought I'd make better Americans out of anybody who took at least just one trip overseas. Got it on public television, did really well, did a couple seasons of it. And on my honeymoon, as Ian was relating, that's when my wife asked me, what would you regret on your deathbed never having done? And I said, writing a novel and getting it published. And she said, okay, when we get home, you're going to start spending two hours protected time every day, making that dream come true. So my man card's on the table. I can't make her think, you know, she married a coward. I can't say I'm scared of failing. I did it. I did it. And it made all the difference. You know, it's that, that whole, the road diverged in the wood and I took the road less traveled by. And I finished that first book, The Lions of Lucerne. And I said, I will not get to my deathbed wondering what would my life have been like if I had just written a book. And so it it made all the difference. But I think that which we're most destined to do in life, we're often most afraid of. And I think that fear is actually a signpost pointing you in the right direction. I think the greater the fear, I think the greater the reward is going to be. Because even if I didn't sell that book, I did it. That to me was more of an accomplishment than getting it published, was actually writing the damn thing. That was Brad Thor wrapping up this special with the interview we did with him back on episode 41. Also did a more recent one with Brad Thor, so you can look back on the archives and check both of those out. Hope that you enjoyed this special. It really is an honor being friends with a lot of these military thriller writers and just having them on the show to discuss their books and to discuss the inspiration for these these thrillers that they've put out and what keeps them going. So hopefully it motivates you And uh, yeah, maybe you'll pick up some of these books that we've discussed in this past hour. 
So as always, be sure to check us out on all social media. And of course, we'll be back next Monday with a new episode, and that'll be none other than a Q&A episode long overdue. So once again, send your questions into us at battlelinepodcast at gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed once again. Have a great week. That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.